0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this Revelation Bible study conducted through the Village Church. I'm Jack Baca, and I'm going to be taking you through the seventh lesson in this series of ten, designed for the week of October 25th. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, through chapter 16, verse 21. We need to remember that this section of Revelation is within the larger section that covers chapters 4 through 18. And within this larger section, we have a great discussion about the final defeat of all evil in the cosmos. There's a deep theological message here, too, that Jesus Christ is victorious over all things and those who remain faithful to him will share in his victory. That's an important message that John is sharing as he has heard and seen a vision from Jesus himself, a vision that Jesus is giving to first century Christians as they battle persecution from their neighbors, from their friends, and especially from the might of the Roman Empire. There is a cosmic battle that has now begun, a battle between, you might say, the forces of good and evil, or the forces of God and Satan. And this battle is discussed in many different details, with many different images, all of which were common in John's day, and which the initial hearers and readers of Revelation would have well understood. This section is, in some ways, the central section of Revelation that tells us about the defeat of all of God's enemies, and therefore the victory not only of God, but the victory of God's people. John's intention here, of course, is to provide a cosmic perspective to persecuted and suffering Christians of the first century. He's helping them to see their suffering, and sometimes even their death, as part of a larger story contained within the story of God. And in that story, then, they find their own strength and they find their own will to persevere. There was an island close to the island of Patmos where John had been exiled. It was the Greek island of Delos. And in Traditional Greek mythology, it was on the island of Delos where the god Apollo had been born. His mother was Leto, and his father was the great god Zeus. In the legend of Apollo, when Apollo was born, there was a dragon who appeared, the dragon python, who tried to kill Apollo. That was a Greek mythological way of talking about the fact that the the forces of darkness, the forces of disorder and death, try to defeat the forces of light, the forces of order and life and fertility and goodness. John takes that common understanding of Greek mythology of the time, and he recasts the characters, if you will, into a story that the Christians can understand, using similar images except now talking about the victory of Jesus in the world. All of those images and all of those stories tend to be confusing or defeating or discouraging when you and I look at the book of Revelation, but maybe it would help us to understand it in this way. It's as if John were taking images from common stories of the battle between good and evil, and he's using those characters, those figures, those stories to talk now about what Jesus has done. In our day, perhaps you would take the stories about Superman and Batman and how they fight the forces of evil, or or maybe the stories from the Star Wars uh, movies and and books where you have the fight between good and and evil. That's all that John is really doing in the book of Revelation, and so we shouldn't be afraid or confused or worried about all of these amazing uh, stories and creatures and things that go on ultimately, it all boils down to a graphic and memorable way of talking about the fact that God defeats evil. In a sense, John recasts all of these figures. And so we have in uh, the the story uh, several central characters. We have a woman who appears. The woman is perhaps Mary or Israel or the church, maybe even Eve. We have a child. Of course, that's Jesus, the Messiah. We have earth, where the drama, where the battle is actually played out. We have angels who are agents of God. We have the captain of all the angels, Michael. God himself is never directly involved in this huge battle, but we are given to understand that God is behind it all. God knows it's all going on. God allows it to happen because in the battle of the forces of good against evil, we know that good wins. Now, so we have several Christian characters, if you will, that relate in some sense to the original Greek mythological characters, but then we also have the characters of evil, the characters of of Satan. There's an evil trinity almost going on here. We have a great dragon, a great sea beast, a great land beast. The dragon is is meant to be kind of a a force of anti-God, The dragon represents all the forces that are against God. Then we have a sea beast that has seven heads, just like the seven hills on which Rome was built. Anytime you hear seven related to the forces of evil, you're meant to understand this is Rome. The Roman Empire is evil. It's doing battle with God's people. Then we have a land beast, the great false prophet that comes from out of the earth. This land beast is kind of like a parody of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And then we also have a, a sea, well, I mentioned the sea beast, right? And then the land beast, the Holy Spirit. All of these things... First Christians, first century Christians understood as, as images uh, for not just the Roman Empire or the Roman Emperor, but Roman governors, Roman uh, magistrates and, and officials, all of those things that were fighting against the life of the church. You and I look at that and say, well, we don't battle the Roman Empire anymore. Of course we don't. But, but we do battle with, with human empires, with human agencies and institutions, and sometimes human people who are, are against the will of God. They promote evil rather than goodness in the world. And that's the message that you and I can take from Revelation, is that God does battle against anything that would destroy His purpose in the world, and He wins. Now, this great dragon, looking at chapter 12, this great dragon attempts to kill the child. And of course, he does not succeed in that. The woman, the child's mother, goes off into the wilderness like Israel went into the wilderness as it escaped from Egypt. The dragon is defeated and expelled from heaven which is a great sign to all Christian folks that those who are going to be in heaven are going to be there without the dragon, of course. The dragon persecutes the woman on earth. The dragon continues to be alive and active for some time, persecuting not the folks in heaven anymore, but those who are on the earth, the living, active, vital church of John's day. And then the dragon summons an ally, the great sea beast, This is meant to represent imperial Rome. This beast is allowed to fight the Christians and to destroy many of them and in some sense temporarily win. But we know the end of the story when the dragon and the sea beast and all the forces of evil will lose. Another sea beast is is summoned, the land beast. Uh, This land beast perhaps represents the emperor himself, not the whole empire, but the emperor himself. This beast puts a mark on everyone's head, and that mark has gotten lots of attention in Christian history lately, Uh, the number 666. Those who have this mark of 666 are allowed to participate in society. They are marked with a sign of the beast. That means that they're okay. Actually, what happened in John's day is that uh, those who who participated in pagan worship and worship of the emperor were allowed to participate in economic life. They were allowed to be part of the trade guilds, the associations, uh, the labor unions, if you will. And so that's a sign that is sealed on those who are, are against God. But remember, there's another sign, the mark of the Lamb, that's the seal on those who are faithful to God. This name uh, that that comes from these letters uh, probably means to refer to Nero, but note something important about the 666. Six is one less than seven. Seven, of course, in in, uh, Jewish uh, theology, represents perfection and completeness. And, and, And so six is one less than seven. Six is evil. It's incomplete. It's not perfect. It is not from God. That's what that number 666 is actually all about. Then in chapter 14, you have uh, the redeemed church, 144,000 folks. 144,000 is not the exact number of those who are saved. Don't worry if you are number 144,001. 144,000 is simply 12 times 12, 12, 12,000 times 12,000. A huge number, the complete number of those who are meant to be saved. Then in chapters 15 and 16, uh, we have the image of a sea glass that's mixed with fire, the the fiery sea, if you will. That calls to mind the images of the Red Sea and the people going through the Red Sea uh, in the exodus. Not even the sea will destroy God's people as the sea did not destroy God's people in their exodus from Egypt. And then chapter 16, you have the final woes. Now, there's been a lot of finality going on here. Here's an image of the final scene. Then here's another image of the final scene from a different perspective, if you will. And and note that not a quarter, not a third of things are destroyed, but everything is destroyed. All evil is destroyed. Everything that would take God away from his purpose and away from his people, it's all destroyed. And then we have that great battle of Armageddon. That's another uh, image that's gotten a lot of attention in the study of Revelation uh, in recent decades. Armageddon, we don't know exactly where it is. Perhaps it relates uh, to the plain of Megiddo in northern Israel. It's a place you can go today. There were many important battles fought there. There was an important mountain there. But John is not so much thinking about that particular place as where the final physical battle's going to occur on Earth. Earth, he's thinking about the fact that there will be a battle, there is a battle going on, and the important thing is that God wins that battle. That's the important thing. So these are, this is kind of an overview of some of the images, some of the things that, that, that relate to first century Christians that they would understand, uh, and, and, and you and I need to understand them as, as simply images, as, as visual pictures, if you will, of all the different ways that, that uh, the forces of the world do battle with God. It's not just a battle that's going on in the world, though. First century Christians uh, uh, ran into persecution and opposition, as I mentioned earlier, from neighbors, from friends, from the government, from the system, if you will. And this story from Revelation tells them that they're not just doing battle with this particular emperor or that particular magistrate who's against them. They are actually participating in a much bigger battle, a battle that occurs on the cosmic stage. They are participants in the battle of evil and good. And of course, they are on the side of good, and good will win. So a couple of questions for you. What, what stories from your life, what images speak to what your life is all about, and how you do battle with evil? Who wins that battle, of course, is the most important question. And as I have always said, and will always say, the singular message of Revelation is that God wins, And so stay on God's side. God wins the final victory. Good wins the final victory. Love wins the final victory. That's what Revelation is about. Don't be worried about the details. Understand the big picture and where you fit in it today. I hope that strengthened your faith and encouraged your faith and leads you to look a little deeper into the pages of Revelation itself. I look forward to seeing you the next time. Take care. God bless.